Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study. Pastor Kirk Hall is continuing his expository teaching through the Roman Epistle. Our prayer is that God would use this time to help you continue to grow in your faith. Now let's open our Bibles as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truth to our hearts. Go ahead and open up, guys, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We are in our second lesson in 12. We talked last week about being that living sacrifice and in being that living sacrifice, um, letting that be our act of worship toward the Lord. And we looked at those things in verses 1 and 2, coming right off the hills of the end of chapter 11, uh, where we read for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. So we're still talking about the Christian life. As we have mentioned over and over again, Paul took the first 11 chapters to teach us about theology. It's very important. But this is the application part. This is where we actually learn to function as the body of Christ. Uh, we, we put all of the feet to the faith that God has given us, and we actually function as the body of Christ. And so we're going to be looking at that today in this 60th lesson in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. We will be talking about the proper function of the body. And Paul's going to instruct us how we, as the church, are to do just that, to properly function as the body. Why? Just what we said as we reviewed a moment ago in verse 36 of chapter 11, so that we bring God glory in everything and every aspect of our life because that is our chief purpose in Christ. It is to bring God glory. That is why He saved us. That is why all of that theology in those first 11 chapters is so important um, because God deserves all glory, honor, and praise. And so we're going to be looking tonight as we begin this study in verse 3 looking at that proper function and what it's all about. So we see in verse 3, let's read it together, 3 through 8, and then we will come back and talk about these things. But it says in verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is, is prophesying, let him use it in, in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So the Apostle Paul is going to begin talking to us about the function of the body and how this is supposed to operate. He uses an interesting term there as he begins this in verse 3. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Paul does not abandon grace because we're getting to the part of functioning. How many of you understand? We function because of grace. We don't function to get or to earn grace. 
Paul says there in verse 3, he says, "For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. He's saying this. His gift, we know this, was apostolic. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's saying it's because of God's grace that I'm even giving you these instructions. If you look at verse 6, and we'll look at all this in its entirety, but he says in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. We're all recipients of God's grace, and we're recipients of God's grace for a purpose. As I've already said, and as we will see many times in our study of Romans, that purpose is to bring God glory with the gifts that He has entrusted us with. But he starts off, as Paul uh, you know, just clearly has defined for us throughout this whole text, he starts off again tonight with grace. And I want you to see that, that if we're going to proper, properly function as the body of Christ, that proper function is going to stem from God's grace. And so the proper function of the body always stems from God's grace. Paul does not abandon grace, and he uses grace to describe for us how the church should operate and function. In fact, we know this. We can't function without God's grace. Not as the body of Jesus Christ. Paul understands that it's, it's the grace of God that has allowed him to operate in his giftedness, and he is instructing them that in the grace of God, they will be allowed and empowered to operate in their giftedness from the Holy Spirit. Because without God's grace, write it down. Put this on a side note. None of us would even be members of Christ's body, much less function as the living, breathing church, blood-bought by Jesus Christ. And so, as we look at this and we begin this study, we need to realize that if we're going to function as the true body of Jesus Christ, this stems from God's grace. I believe Paul starts this again to remind us, guys, this is not about us. He's getting to the point about functioning. And he starts functioning with grace. And then quickly we're going to see, right after grace, he reminds them, don't get arrogant. Don't think more of yourself than you should. Why? Because it's all grace. Remember when we talked earlier on about monergism. He is reminding him, this is God's work. And because of God's work, we can now function as the body of Christ. I don't want you to forget that. Many times we get to functioning in the body and we forget that this is grace that we get to because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We get to fulfill our God-given purpose in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, gifted by the Spirit, to bring glory to God. So we see God's grace, it enables us to function as the body. Um, without God's grace, you couldn't function. John, we know this in his Gospel, chapter 15, verse 5, We'll be getting there soon on Sunday morning. By soon, I mean in a few years. But <clears throat> when we look at chapter 15 and verse 5, we see this. Jesus teaches this. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will, will bear much fruit. And then he says this statement. I want you to pay attention to this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You're not going to be able to do anything apart from the grace of God which is found in Jesus Christ that will bring glory to God. 
So we see that it is God's grace that allows us or enables us to function as the body of Jesus Christ. Paul does not want us to forget that just because he is transitioning into our practice as Christians. Because we know this. We know that there are many people who they base their salvation on their function. I go to church. I've been baptized. I do good things. I help people. Paul says, don't forget. All of this stems from grace. So I'm about to tell you guys what you're supposed to do. But don't forget who's actually doing this through you. Who has graced you with salvation. Who has graced you with gifts from the Spirit. Who has empowered you to do the work that brings God, brings God glory in this life and on this earth. We see it's God's grace that enables us to function as the body. But secondly, um, it's God's grace that encourages us to function as the body. He says, by the grace given me. Paul understood this was his motivation. That God had graciously saved him and God had graciously called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And he is fulfilling that duty out of his appreciation and out of the encouragement that comes from the grace that God has poured out in our lives. What an encouraging thing when we as recipients of grace think of that grace. We think of that grace, we study that grace, we, we ponder on how could God ever save me. But then when we finally begin to understand that, as I hope many of you have in the study in Romans so far, we finally begin to understand God's grace. Isn't it interesting that all of a sudden we are encouraged to now serve Him in the body? I, I pray that you are. I pray that in this study, because your theology has, has grown, I pray because of that you understand God's grace more. I pray that it drives you to serve Him with more vigor and enthusiasm, that you are encouraged because of God's grace for you. The grace that He poured out to us in Christ. It ought to encourage us to function. None of us, not one single person in this room, myself included, probably myself being the least of the candidates, none of us are worthy to serve in Christ's body, the church. But by His grace, all of us who are in Christ can and should serve the Lord to bring Him glory, as we're going to see in a moment, with the gifts that He has graciously supplied to us in His church. Now, we can't get past grace. We can't get over grace. It should be that thing that motivates us every single day. Because I have received the grace of God that I don't deserve, and because I am continually receiving the grace of God in order to serve Him, I am therefore motivated and encouraged by God's grace to share the Gospel with others and to operate as whatever part of the body we're going to see in a moment. He's going to clearly define this for us. God has determined. And in doing that, I bring God glory. We can't function properly without God's grace. Paul begins this reminding us of that. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, this is the reason that I can even speak to you today as an apostle with any kind of authority is because of the grace of God. He goes on in the second part of verse 3, and he gives us the second reason, the second thing that we need to see tonight, the proper function of the body, number one, stems from grace. The second thing I want all of us to see and I want all of us to remember 
And that second part is this. The proper function of the body not only stems from grace, but it starts in our lives with humility. It starts with humility. He says there in that second part of three, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Paul knows this about humans, that we are quick to become arrogant or conceited or think that we've done something. He says, it's grace. And then he says, and don't you forget that. Don't you forget that. Don't you become arrogant or conceited. It stems from grace. God's grace, we know that. And it starts in our lives with humility. If you want to be used in the body and function properly as he's going to describe for us, it comes with humility. Paul knows that to try to operate in arrogance or conceit or self-esteem, oh, isn't it sickening, the self-esteem gospel that we see promoted in the churches these days. I can tell you this, that's not biblical. Biblical is exactly what Paul is teaching here today. Die to yourself so that you can function as the body of Christ and bring Him glory. Die to your old man. Operate in the Spirit. And so, we see that he is teaching them this, and he's teaching us this here 2,000 years later, um, so that we can avoid that arrogance or that self-righteousness. How does he know about this? He was plagued by it at one time, wasn't he? You can look back on Paul's life, and he knows what it's like to be an arrogant religious person counting on his own righteous deeds and his own self-worth. He's warning his brothers in Christ, guys, don't fall into this trap. The proper function of the body always starts with humility. Arrogance robs people of the unction to function as the body of Christ. Arrogance robs us of that. Be very cautious of that. All of us. Because those of us who have walked with Christ for a longer period of time, I'm going to tell you this, it becomes a little easier for us to be conceited or arrogant, to think that we, we've got these things figured out. Paul starts with grace. He says grace, and he says humility. Now, many of you have heard me reference a book. Some of you have purchased that book, The Mortification of Sin, where he tells us to always be killing sin or it shall be killing you. Now, every man in this room, I don't know what degree you struggle with it, but every man in this room struggles with your pride, and you will struggle with your pride as long as you live, even in the context of serving God. Because many of us are lured into serving God at times so that we can have the approval of men so it can boost our own self-esteem or our, our own self-worth. Be very careful of that. Because when you act in that way, that arrogance actually robs you from bringing God glory. Why? Because you're stealing it from Him. You're actually not bringing God glory at all. You're actually bringing yourself glory and you're using God to do it. Now, in case you didn't know that, that violates one of the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments that says, do not use the Lord your God's name in vain. That's not just a, a curse word. It is when you say you're doing something for God that you're really doing out of your own arrogance and pride. So when we function in the body, we must start here at the place of humility. And if we'll keep our, 
our eyes focused on grace as Paul is teaching us to do, it's a whole lot easier to be humble, isn't it? I don't have anything to offer God. In fact, God offered everything for me, or I would still be destined to hell and the wrath of God for all eternity. So it starts with humility. We must humbly function within reality. Look what he says there. He says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. We must humbly function within reality. This is talking about proper thinking. Proper thinking. What is proper thinking? Philippians, Paul says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 tells us that. And we have to humbly function in that type of reality that the church is not about us. Everybody understand that? The church is first about Christ, who is the head. And second, the church is about the body functioning as God has intended for the body to function. And we have to approach this humbly. Be honest about who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. Know where you are in your Christian walk. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3 says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I find it interesting in today's time, a person saved two weeks and they think that they ought to be in the pulpit. It doesn't work like that. I know many of you, the younger guys in this room, you were brought up with microwaves and everything was instant, right? Or you asked mommy and mommy made it for you quickly because you were crying and whining and you needed fast. She took care of you. That's not how it works in the spiritual world. Everyone understand that. There is a process of maturing in Christ. So what he's telling us, let's, let's be honest and let's be humble about where we are in Christ. Be honest about who you are. Right? We're going to talk about giftedness in a second. Who are you in Christ? Are you a babe in Christ? Are you an adolescent in Christ? Are you a young man in Christ? Or are you a father in Christ? Are you one of those people who are mature in your faith? Be honest about that. Now, if you are one of those people who are mature in your faith, do you have grounds then to be arrogant? Absolutely not. In fact, it is those who are mature in the faith who ought to say, I have definitely no grounds to be arrogant because I would not be here were it not for the grace of God, the power of God through the Spirit, the Word of God, in teaching me the truths that have matured me in the faith. We must remain humble about who you are in Christ. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Be honest about who you are in Christ, but be honest about where you are in Christ. Where you are in Christ. Where you are in your spiritual walk. Where you are in your day-to-day life. Some of you, you've been saved for months. Some of you have been saved for years. Some of you, decades. Right? But be honest about where you are in Christ. Am I in the beginning phases of my Christian relationship? Can I give you some recommendations? If you're new in faith in Jesus Christ, you probably should be doing more listening and less talking. Right? Until God entrusts you and puts you in a position, and He may never. He may never give, give you a gift to teach. Some people just do not have it. If He doesn't, guess what? We're going to see in a second. That's okay. Every single part of the body is important. 
Every single part of the body is important. You guys get that? Uh, I, I can't stand that people think that I am more important than the lady who prays for me and agonizes in prayer for me and the leaders of this church. She's very important because I promise you this, without her prayers, we'd be in big trouble. So when we look at this, we have to remain humble in our approach to everything. Be honest about who we are in Christ. Be honest about where we are in Christ. First Corinthians chapter 10, Paul tells us this in verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm... Be careful that you don't fall. If you think you got this all figured out, you're not going to fall to temptation? Is that dangerous ground? Yeah. Be honest with yourself about where you are. Because if you're not, God's desire for you is to be humble. It's real simple. You can be humble by choice, or you can be humbled by discipline as a believer. He will make sure that you are humbled. Now, I say that speaking from experience because I have, I'm not afraid to tell you this, had moments in my Christian walk where I got a little too big for my britches and God had to then humble me. Right? And if you're not careful, you're going to be disciplined by the Lord as well. John Owen, in fact, we already mentioned one of his books, but John Owen says this, we have no power from Christ unless we live in a persuasion that we have none of our own. We have no power from Christ unless we live in a persuasion that we have none of our own. What a statement. Because we really have none of our own as far as functioning in the body of Christ is concerned. Every ounce of power that you have to do the task and the works that God has prepared in advance for you to do, every ounce of that power comes not from your human will, but from the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. So we must humbly function within reality. Where are we in Christ? Where is our faith? What did he say? Live according to the measure of faith that you have been given. So we must humbly function within reality. Secondly, in that portion of starting with humility, we must humbly function not only... Uh, within reality, but through reevaluation. That is that continual thinking. Remember, we're coming off the heels of a scripture that was teaching us to be renewed in our mind. So we must constantly reevaluate ourselves and where we are in our spiritual walk. I pray that you guys are doing that and being honest with yourself in your lives as you reevaluate yourself. Watch this by the Word of God constantly, day to day in your life. Am I where I am supposed to be in my walk with Christ? When the Word of God says, no, you aren't, it is time for confession and repentance. But watch this. As we walk with Christ and we mature, sometimes the Word of God is going to say, Kurt, you're right where you need to be. When the Word of God confirms, I am right where I need to be in the will of God. Watch this. Don't become arrogant. Bow your head in that moment and say, thank you, God, because I know how unworthy I am and I know how sinful in and of myself that I am. And it is only Your grace and it is only Your mercy. It is only the power of Your Spirit that has allowed me to walk in righteousness and bring You glory. Don't forget who you are and where you are in Christ and how you got there. Paul is teaching. This is very important in functioning as the body of Christ. We have to continually reevaluate ourselves. And this is a constant 
reevaluation of our life. Don't settle for where you were 20 years ago in your Christian walk. Many people make that mistake. They settle for where they were when they were on fire for the Lord, in quotations. And they're living their past faith. Reevaluate where you are right now. And it may lead to confession and repentance. It may lead to praising God for His grace, thanking Him for holding you up and allowing you to be steadfast and strong in the faith. I don't know. You have to examine your own life continually and reevaluate yourself so that you can be honest about who you really are. So, we see it's a conscious reevaluation of our lives, but it's constant, also a constant and consistent reevaluation of our lives. Do this on a regular basis. Just because, just because you were where you needed to be last week, do not glory in that in and of yourself. Because last week's victory might lead to this week's fall. How many times have we seen it in our life? I was in a victory last week and this week because I was still celebrating my victory from last week. I fell to my pride because I didn't constantly reevaluate myself. I wasn't constantly honest and humble before God. He's telling us this before we ever get into the functioning of the body because He wants us to be prepared to function when we get to the teachings that we're going to see coming up. But know this. We can't function properly without God's grace. We can't function properly as the body without humility. Many a minister has fallen because he stopped functioning in humility. Many a man of God has fallen into sin because he has stopped functioning in humility. It is a thing that we must pray every single day. Lord, make me humble. Lord, keep me humble. Lord, show me my arrogance and my pride that I may crucify my flesh. Remember, again, always be killing sin or it shall be killing you. Public enemy number one to any honest human being, sin. And it is their own sin. Oftentimes we want to point out Satan as the big enemy to the church. Sin is the big enemy to the church. Satan just loves to stir that up. So, make sure that you are humbly approaching things as a member of the body. Verse 4, he continues. He says this in verse 4, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Underline that in your Bible. These members do not have the same function. Meaning this, your fingers and your toes function differently. None of you walked in here on your hands. Walked in here on your feet. You have different functions. Very important. All of them. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Wow. The American church would let that little statement sink into their hearts and their minds that we all belong to each other. He's talking to us here about the next thing that we're going to look at, if, if there's going to be the proper function of the body, stems from grace, starts with humility, but it serves the whole body of Christ. I, my prayer is this, and I pray this about our church. I want to see a group of people who are about bringing God glory and who see it as a whole body effort. Right? No pew warmers, um, no people on the sidelines, 
everybody in the game serving God, doing the work of the ministry, operating in their spiritual gifts for one sole purpose, and that is to bring glory to the God who saved you through Jesus Christ at the cross 2,000 years ago. That is what the church should be all about. Us serving the body. Why? It is the body of Christ to which He is the head. When we serve the body, watch this, we serve Christ. When we operate as that part that He has made us, we bring Him glory. So Paul is teaching that the parts of the body, though they are different in function, should be working in unity for the benefit of the whole body. The sad thing about that is this. If someone is not functioning as the part that God has called them to be, who's affected? Only that person? Or is the whole body affected? Of course, we know the whole body is affected. You you have an eight-cylinder. And let's just say this. On the way up here, one of your eight spark plugs stopped working. Do you have a significant problem? Yes, you do. So we understand here that Paul is teaching that the parts of the body, though they may be different in function, they must all work together in unity as the church, the body of Christ. So in other words, in our functioning, in our spiritual giftedness, within His body, within the church, there will be unity in the body through diversity in the gifts. We're not all the same. But we operate for the same cause. And that cause is the glory of God in Christ. We all operate to bring Him glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can't hardly look at Romans chapter 12 without looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 4 says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. We see that we have to understand that diversity in our gifts doesn't mean division in our function. In fact, diversity in our gifts ought to be the reason that we want to unify so that the brother that has this gift can bring glory to God as he works alongside of the other brother who has another gift who can bring glory to God. The whole body working and being and living as Christ died for them to work and be and live. Each of us should serve the whole body. How do we do this? Write it down by acknowledging the purpose of our function. What is that purpose? What are we here to do? What is the church all about? Is the church just a civic organization where we come together and have a good time? I sure hope not. I sure hope not. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where that is the call of the church. Our church is to function so that God receives glory, so that others hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ, so that they come into the body as Christ redeems them. We have to acknowledge the purpose of our function. What is the purpose? He told us this, the purpose is to benefit the whole body. Benefit the whole body in our unity as one. Oh, I long to see the day. I'm thankful for this church because it's the closest thing that I've seen. But I long to see the day where a church really, really understands that our individual functioning in Christ all at the same time makes us a machine for the glory of God. 
that we see that I function. Why, why do I serve in the area that I serve? Because there are brothers and there are sisters in Christ who need me to serve in that place so that the body is then what it is supposed to be. It is that vessel bringing honor and glory to God. So we have to understand our purpose is to benefit the whole body through unity, even though we are diverse. I promise you, all of us in this room are different in our humanity. But all of us in this room are different in our spiritual lives as well. Know that. You have a gift. I have a gift. My gift, not your gift. And so the thing is, just because my gift is in the spotlight a lot of times, it does not make it any more important than the gifts that are not in the spotlight. We're in this room today. Because, guess what? There are people who are in our church who have gifts of administration. They made sure the bills were paid. I'm not one of those guys. I don't know if the bills get paid or not. I know this. When I flip on the switch, the lights come on and they did their job. Thank you, Lord. Now when we look at that, all of you have something to offer God. Now, I don't believe that we take a spiritual gift analysis at this point in time so that we can covet one another's gifts. We've seen that in the church too often. But I do believe this. I believe we learn in the Word of God to humbly walk by the grace of God in accordance with the Spirit of God and then we're going to work and operate in our gifts because we're going to realize our whole purpose is to bring God glory. How do we bring God glory and work in our giftedness? We die to our flesh and we walk in the Spirit yielding to Him. And when we do that, you're acknowledging our purpose in functioning which is to benefit the whole body and it is to bring Glory to God as we function in unity as one. So we see each of us should serve the whole body by acknowledging the purpose of our function. Number two, by assuming your proper role in our function. Your proper role. What single individual part are you? And if you are that single individual part worrying about what part you are and operating in that, do you really have time to worry about who's not operating as their part? No, we want to encourage brothers to do that, but we don't have time to worry about it. I've been in those churches where people would sit around and pick out everybody who wasn't operating for the Lord instead of rejoicing in the ones that were. I love that I am privileged to pastor a church where, guess what? I get to rejoice in watching things happen. Those who have that, that gift of service, who come up, who mow or who vacuum, you say, man, that's not as big a deal as you bringing the Word of God. It's not. God's Word just said it is. God's Word just said you're functioning as a part of the body no more or less important than the guy who stands in the pulpit or the guy who stands up with the guitar singing a song. You have a role. And He wants us to assume the proper roles that He has called us to assume. Those single individual parts. Working as one united body. First Corinthians chapter 12. I told you we're not going to be able to get very far from that in talking about operating in giftedness. But He says this, the body is a unit. Isn't it sad that we can't say that about some local churches? The body's all divided. They're fighting. They're bickering. They're not one heart. They're not one mind. How many of you have ever been to that church? Listen, thank God for His grace and pray that we never become that. Pray that we never become that. 
He says the body is a unit. Though it is made of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Verse 14 says, Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it, from what we just read in Romans. He says, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Think about that for a second. If every one of you were me, oh man, poor world, poor church, But if every one of you were me, we would be in trouble. He says you can't all be an eye. Who would hear? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body. Who's arranged them? God. He has specifically put every single one of you here. Let me tell you this. If you are here and He has led you to be a member of this church, He has led you to function in the body for His glory as one unit. Did you just read that with me? Isn't that good stuff? He says, if they were all one part, where would the body be? Confusion, chaos, bickering, slandering, backbiting. I've been there. Been to those churches, preached at those churches. As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Do a little study on your little pinky toe. I don't remember what the percentage is, but you lose, if you lose your little pinky toe, you lose a percentage, a pretty huge percentage of your ability to balance. A little insignificant thing, right? He's insignificant till you wake up in the middle of the night and you're going through your bedroom in the dark and you hit the bedpost with him. Then he's very significant for a few days. He says in verse 23, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Y'all see where he's going here without me getting too graphic, right? So he goes on and he says, But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. He's saying you are all equally important. And let that sink in for a second. A lot of preachers are afraid to say that. Because they want to be the most important. Can I, can I, I'll help all of you out. I want to tell you something. I don't want to be the most important person in this local body. I assure you of that. I want to be equally important and working with each of you and your gifts to bring our great God glory. That's it. He says, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Somebody in this room goes through a trial. You guys know as well as I do, one of our brothers went through a trial. He lost his son. We left this place. We went and we embraced him. He still talks about this today. How the body surrounded him. Each of you, you either had a word of encouragement or you had a handshake or you had a hug. You had a burden for them and you prayed for them later on through that trial. That's what the body of Christ is all about. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. He says not only in suffering, Man, if one of you is honored, God blesses you. 
We have to learn to rejoice with people when God blesses them. You've been in those churches where everybody's jealous of everyone? That's not the body of Christ. They're functioning in the flesh. They're not functioning in the Spirit. He goes on and says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. He writes these things so that we understand that we have a duty and an obligation unto the Lord who has saved us by His grace and who we have humbled ourselves before to serve the whole body for His glory. So he says, you are one part. You and your one part in functioning the way that you should by walking in the Spirit, by being obedient to the Word of God, by being humble. He says this, that one part, when coupled with the other part, the body then functions in the way that God has intended for it to function. I have a dollar bill here. We were talking earlier that it might be cheaper for me to use this dollar bill as a bookmark nowadays because it's probably cheaper to have a dollar bill as a bookmark than to actually buy a bookmark. Because I'm figuring a bookmark's about a buck fifty now, so I don't have it here as a bookmark. Though I was joking about that earlier. I have it here because on the back of a of a dollar bill, there is the seal of the United States of America. It has a very interesting statement on there, and it's in Latin. And it is the the, the Latin phrase E pluribus unum. So when we look at that, we I've seen that many times on the dollar. If you haven't, I pray that you would go home and look at it tonight because I want you to see what that means. Because it means out of many, one. We know as far as the United States is concerned, it is talking about out of many at first colonies, right? There were 13 colonies when this phrase was used first. That made up originally the United States. But now we know that we are states, so he's... The expression here is expressing out of many one in reference to there are many states who when functioning and united make up the one nation. I was thinking about this when I was reading this because I learned that at a young age because I was the kid who called it ADD or curiosity. Uh, I think many times in, in today's time, Curiosity gets diagnosed as ADD, but I would read these things and ask people, what in the world does this mean? I would drive a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, absolutely mad with all of my questions that I had. Right, Dirk? Um, but I would ask those questions like, who's King James? Who's this person in the Bible? I wanted to know. So I would come to things reading the dollar bill like E Pluribus Unum, and what does that mean? We didn't have Google back then. We actually had to go to somebody's house because we weren't rich enough to have an encyclopedia set. But when you were at your rich friend's house, they had the encyclopedias. Y'all remember those things? And so we would look up things like this and learn. They're called books. They're really, really neat. But when we opened that up and we found out what that meant, out of many, one. In looking at this lesson, I thought about that. E pluribus unum, how the church should function in the same way. All of the individual, diverse, separate parts working and operating in their own giftedness for the one. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here today? All of us functioning as the one to bring glory to God. And so we can't function properly without understanding uh, God's plan for us in the body. Uh, we are singular in our giftedness and we are a single part, but in our unity, 
we become the whole body. The church. Now, the church that Jesus Himself said, not even the gates of hell shall prevail against My church. What a privilege it is that God has graciously put us in His church that we may function as the many individuals working and doing what God has called us and crafted us to do so that we can, for the one, the body, bring glory to Christ who is the head. What a privilege that is. So we're going to function in seeing that privilege come to fruition in our lives. We have to realize that the proper function of the body serves the whole body of Christ. You don't use your spiritual giftedness as an individual just for you. Right? You don't secede from the union just to have your own way. We function as individuals who are diverse for the glory of the one church that was purchased through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So we see the proper function of the body stems from God's grace starts with humility, serves the whole body of Christ. And then, I want you to pay attention to the last instructions He gives us here. Very important. Stays within the Spirit's gifting. Stays within the Spirit's gifting. Verse 6 says this, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in the proportion to his faith. Now, we know this. That gift of prophesying, could be the gift of foretelling that we see through the Old Testament in the early, or foretelling, excuse me, that we see through the Old Testament into the early New Testament, those prophetic gifts that we see revealed. But it's also the foretelling of the Word of God. So someone may be gifted in the gift of prophecy and he foretells the Word of God, meaning he preaches the Word of God with authority and with power from the Spirit. So he says, if that's your duty, do it. He goes on and he says this. Um, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it to the proportion of his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. Some people say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a preacher, so I don't know about that preaching thing. I just like to, I just like to clean the bathrooms for the Lord and just kind of be quiet about it. Is that any more or less noble than the one who prophesies? Absolutely not. Equal. But it is who you are. Remember, he starts all this out by saying, hey, it's about grace. Be humble. Be honest about who you are. Be honest about where you are in your walk. If you and your walk are that person who you are serving quietly and bringing glory and honor to God by the little things that you do in service, that's okay. He goes on. He says, if it's teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. This is pretty common sense stuff, isn't it? Boy, haven't we made a debacle of this common sense teaching. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts because I don't know that I believe that there is an exhaustive list. I believe that the Scripture gives each of you specific gifting to work in that particular body as one even though you are diverse, but one in function and one in bringing God glory. But what he's teaching us here is this. To stay in our spiritual lanes. 
to be who we are in the body of Christ and to not worry about everyone else and what they are not being. Everybody understand me there. I love it that most of the people who tell me how to pastor a church have never pastored a church. It's almost comical. When, when a woman who's never pastored a church doesn't understand the pressure of pastoring a church, never ever will pastor a church that I'm involved in, she comes to me and says, Pastor, you know what I think you ought to do? I can tell you this, it's hard for me not to say, open my Bible and listen to the Holy Spirit and not you. I can't do that because my wife says that's rude. But the thing is, she knows nothing about pastoring a church. Why is she worrying about what I'm doing and or not doing? What is she doing as far as you're concerned? Right? We have this. There are people who voluntarily serve the Lord. They have the gift of service. They say this, I want to be on the cleaning team. I want to scrub toilets for the one who died on the cross for me. Now you know what irks me more than anything? When a person has never made an attempt to serve in that manner, and they come to me or they come to chance criticizing those who do. I want to tell them, which lane do you belong in? Now, if you think that you have the gift of service and you could do this better, there is a sign-up sheet right here. Go on and sign up. Glory to God. Have a good day. Hallelujah. i got things to do. One of them does not include further discussion with you. Y'all know I'm only playing. But he's telling people to stay in their spiritual giftedness, where they're supposed to be. I love this. I don't have to micromanage the staff here at Key Life Fellowship. I don't. You can ask any of them. Does he micromanage us? I promise you, I don't. What I do is I turn them loose and say, this is your ministry. You're going to give an account for it. So, you better take it seriously. Now, if we have an issue, of course we're going to talk about an issue. That's my job. That's part of the leadership that I have here. We're going to sit down and talk. Hey, we got a problem here. I don't micromanage things. Why? Because I'm not to worry about your giftedness or your giftedness or your giftedness. If you're operating it, I'm to worry about mine. You ever been to that church where all he ever did was browbeat the people for not operating in their gift? They didn't want to operate in anything. They were so scared of everything, they, they were afraid they were going to mess up. thing is, what I would encourage all you men to do, I tell people this all the time, I love for people to come to me and say, man, I feel like God is leading me to do this. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening. Um, you're not bothering me at all. Now, what, my, what is my job in that? My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. What do you need to get started being obedient to what the Lord would have you to do to bring Him glory in this body of believers? That's simple. But you have to learn to stay within your giftedness. Right? I'm going to tell you this. If God hasn't given you the gift to teach, don't. You're going to be like a fish out of water. Here's the thing. Not only will you know that's not your gift, so will everybody who's listening to you. Right? I've been to enough churches to know someone's grandma called them to preach because God showed and called them to preach. So we have to be honest. We have to stay in our life. I love those guys. They're like, I just thought it would be a good idea to go to seminary and be a preacher. You thought that would be a good idea? I can tell you, anybody who thinks that's a good idea is probably not called. Because the Lord had to pull me out kicking and screaming. Most most preachers that I know who, who are worth anything, 
the Lord had to convince them, usually the hard way, this is what I want you to do. This is not as glamorous as all you guys who think you have lesser gifts think it is. He's telling us, stay in our lane. If your gift is to prophesy, prophesy. Your gift is to encourage, well, pretty cut and dry. Encourage. If it's to serve, serve. If it's to teach, teach. If it's to contribute by giving, you're a giver. I love to see givers. I love that our missionaries that we support aren't starving because there are people who have that gift where they just want to give generously over and over and over to the Lord's work above and beyond. He says, if that's your gift, then do it. If your gift is showing mercy, then show mercy. If you're that person who, man, every time you see a person in need, you want to give them mercy and help them, does the church need those people? You bet they do. Get busy. Find those people who need that help. Let me know the resources you need so that we can help them. We're going we're to see to it that you operate and function in your giftedness. Why? Because the whole body benefits. And most importantly, God is glorified through it. So a person who is really in proper function in the body stays within the Spirit's gifting. Operating in the diversity of your spiritual gift. Accepting your giftedness. I'm going to say that again. Accepting your giftedness. That's why I told you I don't like those spiritual gift analysis. I've been in them. People leave and go, man, my gift's not very cool. Ask what, the, ask what happened to the Corinthian church because they began to covet other people's gifts. Boy, they got into chaos. Paul had to write a whole letter to straighten them out about spiritual gifts. We leave those classes and somebody's upset because they don't have that showy gift and they're never going to be cool. Then they covet another person's gift and before you know it, you have sin in the church because people weren't willing to accept who they really are in their giftedness. So he says if Gift is encouraging, encourage. Gift is prophesying, prophesy. Gift is teaching, teach. Leadership, watch this, lead. Operate in your own giftedness. Accepting your giftedness, watch this. Very important. Agreeing with who the giver says you are. Because it's he who has determined your gifts. You know why I finally surrendered to preach? Because God said that's what I am. When I realized that I could not do anything else with peace in my heart, I knew that I could argue all I wanted to argue. And believe me, I argued a lot. I said, God, I don't want to be a preacher. I had good reasons. I'll tell you those reasons. They wore black suits. They had black Bible. They drove black cars. And their wives were ugly. Real spiritual reasons, right? God had to convince me that I don't care what you think about preachers. I don't care what you think about who you think you are. This is who you are in Christ. Once I came to that realization, you know what? I can't be anyone else in Christ. That is who I am. I had to agree with the giver of the gifts and who he says that I am. Remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, it said this. It said, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determined. So maybe you're not the gift that you think that you want to be to the body of Christ and, and that will bring God glory. I can promise you this. 
You are who He wants you to be, so you need to be honest and accept who you are in Christ. And then, watch this, give everything you are to who He says that you are. If it's prophesying, prophesy. If it's encouraging, encouraging. If it's teaching, teach. If it's giving, give. If it's mercy, lavish it upon people. Be who you are in Christ. It starts with accepting who the giver says you really are. So we function as the body by operating in the diversity of our spiritual gifts, but also in by being obedient in distributing those gifts. We have to actively function in our giftedness. Distribute that gift within the body of Christ. Actively functioning in the way that God in Christ has predestined you to function for His glory. These are the works that He has prepared in advance for us to do. And so I say that so you would actually look at yourself and you would examine yourself and reevaluate yourself tonight and say, am I functioning in my specific gift? Watch this. And calling. All of you are called by God. You might not be called by God to preach. But you are called by God to function as your part of the body. You are called in Christ. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are specifically gifted and you are specifically gifted to properly function in the body of Christ as a diverse individual who unites with the whole to bring God glory in His church. Are you appropriately using that gift? Are you seeking training or encouragement from others in how to use that gift? Though they be different in their nature, all of our gifts are the same in function. Are you functioning for the glory of God in the giftedness that God has given you in Christ to function in? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one more time. I'm going to revisit verses 18 through 20. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. I look in this room tonight in the eyes of all you men, knowing that each of you in Christ is a part of the body. You are a different part than I am. But what would happen in this church if we all said, you know what, I'm not going to worry about who I'm not in Christ. I'm going to worry about who I am in Christ. And we all began to function with passion and power and authority from God's Spirit and God's Word in being and doing exactly what Jesus Christ died for us to do and be. We began to truly and properly function as the body of Jesus Christ. What in the world would happen? Oh, what a day it would be. What a day it would be. I pray that it begins today because we can't function properly if we do not operate in the Spirit's gifting. We can't. So I ask you this as we close. Are you fulfilling your proper function and role in the body of Christ? Are you? I can tell you this. If you're lazy and apathetic, you're not. 
If you're just here on a Sunday morning, I know I'm probably not talking to anyone because you're here on a Thursday night. If you're just here on a Sunday morning and that's the extent of your service to God, you're probably not. But are you seeking Him? Are you seeking direction from His Word? Are you seeking empowerment through the indwelling Holy Spirit to be exactly who God called you to be so that you can bring Him glory? Are you operating as a part in the functioning of the whole? Are you? Why? So that God will be glorified. The more we understand and apply this principle that we learned tonight, the more God will be glorified in this body of believers, in this community, and in this world because we are properly functioning as the body of Christ. Proper function. Stems from God's grace. It starts with humility. Serves the whole body of Christ. And it stays within the Spirit's gifting. Are you functioning as God has called you to function? I pray that you are. If you're not, let me tell you this. Today, humble yourself and bow before Him. It's as simple as, God, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. But I know sitting on my apathetic laurels is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Holy Spirit, give me direction. Lord, show me in Your Word what it is that I am to be and to do for the glory of God in His church so that others will bring praise to Him because of what He's done and what He's doing in me. Let's pray together. Lord, we love You. We thank You so much for the privilege and the grace of being called and being made able by Your Spirit to operate as a part of Your body and to collectively operate as the whole, knowing that You are the head over Your church. Lord, we ask that You would lead each and every one of these men in operating and functioning in the body, that they may bring You glory not only in their individual lives and their individual function as Christian men, but that they would bring You glory in the body of Christ as they walk in the good works that You've prepared in advance for them to do. God, I pray You give them all direction. You give them all wisdom in how to seek You, how to follow You, how to walk in the giftedness as they walk in Your Spirit that You've given them. God, we look forward to what You're going to do when an army of united soldiers stand up with different skills that You've equipped them with. They stand up for the cause of Jesus Christ, for the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and for the glory of God. Lord, we look forward to the souls who will be saved, to the lives that will be ministered to. We thank You for this encouragement. We thank You for this challenge from Your Word tonight. May we be obedient to it. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world.